0: Good morning. Have you ever had questions in your head that go something like this? Can one person really make a change in the world? Have you ever had the thought of, are my actions in Christ or are my actions in life actually making a difference? Have you ever thought, do I really benefit the world at all? Hopefully I benefit my family at least, but do I really have an impact in the world? The truth is, all throughout history, for thousands of years, one person after one person after one person after one person has transformed this world. Let me put a couple of them just in the last 50 to 100 years. First of all, Winston Churchill. If you're familiar with the name, it was because he led us through World War II, and he led uh, that that side of of, uh, Britain and England through a terrible time. Everybody hated him until that moment, but when he became a leader, he transformed not only us, but that area over there. How about this woman named Rosa Parks who decided, I'm not sitting in the back anymore, and she stood up one day and said, I'm going to the front. That transformational moment, she changed the world. Nelson Mandela, he was a political prisoner for 25 years. Yeah, amen, thanks for that. And one day, he actually got released, and then he became the first president post-apartheid in South Africa. Martin Luther King died so that you and I might have better civil rights. Mother Teresa lived and showed us how to love the world one person at a time, giving everything she had. She is the essence of loving the world. Einstein used his brain to transform and change the way we think. A woman named Rosalind Franklin, I don't know if you know her, she discovered DNA. How has DNA transformed our world? If we go back a couple hundred years, William Shakespeare in his writing... Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. If you go into my region, I'm an explorer. I love to explore Vasco da Gama, Magellan, and the great Columbus. I don't know if you like him or not. Whatever, he changed the world. We can even go to this famous woman named Joan of Arc and how she stood up for the test of time. If you want to get evil, how about Hitler? He changed the world. He changed the way we view the world. In our Bible... And especially in the New Testament, there's a great man named the Apostle Paul who's got great writings that challenge us to be a deeper disciple of Jesus Christ. He changed the world because he pointed people to the one changer of the world, Jesus Christ. This God-man, two-in-one, fully God, fully man, who is the essence of changing the world. But what can regular people like me and you change the world? How can we do it? These guys are great people. He was a prime minister and, uh, you know... Martin Luther King was a big preacher. And how can we just change the world? Let me give you two instances of two people just going to work every day, doing their job, and how they radically changed the world. In 1968, while working at a refugee camp on the border of Bangladesh and Burma, David Nyland discovered this breakthrough treatment for patients suffering diarrhea. Here he is in there. He's showing a picture of when it happened. Dr. Nyland helped save millions of people with the simple innovation of giving diarrhea patients a mix of water, salt, and sugar. Dehydration was changed forever. It's still being used today. That system, if you looked it up, and uh, they're doing the same thing to transform and change, and he saved millions of people. How about Stanlav Petrov? Have anybody ever heard this guy? He was a lieutenant in the Soviet Army during the Cold War. In 1983, he did something amazing. Petrov was on duty in a Soviet missile base when the early warning systems... Uh, apparently detected incoming missiles from the United States. The protocol says he needs to launch missiles back. But he made a decision not to push the button. He reasoned that there wasn't enough missiles coming over to send an attack. That day there was a malfunction in the computer and he saved the world from nuclear holocaust. He just did his job and he saves the world. If you don't know what nuclear holocaust looks like, just look up Chernobyl 30 years later and see what it looks like. It's devastating. People just doing their everyday job. Nurses, doctors, teachers, going to work and school. You have the opportunity to change the world one person at a time. And one person matters. And Jesus came into the world to transform you one person at a time so that you become a love offering to this world. And our job is to receive that love. Everybody say receive. We've got to receive that love so that my heart can be open. If you're new here to Journey, yeah, I'm shocked as you are that I'm the pastor or one of the pastors here, so (laughs) welcome. (laughs) God has given us a mission a long time ago in our backyard when we started this church that we need to be a love offering to this community. By his love, by his stripes, by his grace, we have an opportunity to share that love one person at a time. Our mission of this church is to love the world one person at a time, one, one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, one second at a time. And if you're struggling with someone, sometimes that nanosecond seems a long time. But we are still love people. We are his mechanism. We are his vessel. Even though we are broken and fragile jars of clay, in this vessel we call our body and our life, we are to love the world. And let Christ shine through that process. And I'm thankful that you're here to celebrate this today. We're going through this series called the 12. And what we're trying to do is grow as disciples. We are to look at the 12 apostles, each one of them week by week. And grow through some of the words and some of the actions that they did. Last week, Jeremy preached a brilliant message about being zealous for the kingdom of God. Looked at 1 Peter chapter 3 and challenged us. Are you zealous for the kingdom of God? This week, we're going to do something very similar. Now, at our church, what we do is we have Bibles. Anybody have a Bible? Jeremy will give you 20 bucks. Just go and see him if you brought your Bible. He's got way more money than I do, so... But what we do is we have a Bible, and at one point, I was a wreck. I was a mess. I was strung out. I was distant, and someone put a Bible in my hand, this 19-year-old kid named Sal, and he said, if you read this, Jeff, your life will be changed. And so what we do at our church is we stand up because this is powerful. And we're going to read from the power of Jesus Christ, and we're going to read from the power of God, and we're going to watch life transform. So stand up, please, and let's read from our memory verse, Matthew chapter 10. This is where the apostles are, in, are, are announced, going out into the community. It says, Jesus called the 12 disciples together and gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. And here are the name of the 12 apostles. First Simon, also called Peter, then Andrew, Peter's brother, James, son of Zebedee, John, James's brother, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Today we're going to talk about Andrew. And my hope is, no matter where you're at in faith, if you're new, if you're frustrated, if you don't know exactly where you fit with God, or if you've been in church for 60 years, open up your heart today and say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me and, open, and, and, and let my heart be filled through your spirit. So I challenge you to ask that prayer, and I promise you, if you do that, God will use you today and use your heart and, and use that space to transform you. So, Father, we claim victory in Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, reside in our hearts right now and move out any of the chaos and confusion so that we can truly hear your voice today, Lord. I pray that there will be salvation all across this great country and world. I pray that we will hear a revelation from your heart today, that we will hear a message directly from your heart to ours, and that you will transform us right before our eyes. We love you, King Jesus, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. You know, I love many of the characters in the Bible, but one of them I relate to, especially in the Old Testament, is uh, Joseph. I really love Joseph because Joseph is a dreamer, and I don't know about you, but I'm a huge dreamer. I have big dreams. I have humongous dreams. And I know God wants me to have those dreams. And and so I relate to him. He was also despised. At one point in my life, I was burning bridges because of the way I was living my life. And I was despised. One of the things me and him have not in common is he was sold. Not me. Nobody would purchase me. But he was sold. And he was falsely accused. And I felt like I had some false accusations in court and on the street. And at one point, I felt like I was forgotten and left alone. Mainly all to my own doing. But at one point, 13 years after he was sold into slavery, he rose up where God wanted him and he became second in charge of Egypt. But ultimately, he was in charge of this vast kingdom and ultimately saved the Israelites. One man, just like me and you. I'm in my 13th year of ministry. And I believe God has greater things that are going to happen in the next few weeks, in the next few months, in the next year within this church because God is on the move and we are a part of that amazing movement of God. Yeah, we can cheer for that. Many times God uses one person, a man, a woman, a child we'll see today. He uses one people to bring the glory to God and bring people back to God. Abraham was one that he said he was going to become the father of nations. How about Esther? I love that story of Esther. I raised girls. I got three girls. How about Esther standing up to the king, putting her life on the line? What a powerful moment where she brings salvation to the Israelites because of that. Daniel, David, God uses one person at a time constantly. And God's ultimate plan was to use this one God man, Jesus fully God, fully man, to transform and change the world. And that's what we see here today. And as we go through this sermon series called The Twelve, listen to what Margaret Mead says. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that has ever happened. Indeed, it's the only thing that has... I can't even say it. Anybody want to read that for me? guess it's not up there, so don't worry about it. It's the only thing that has ever happened these citizens, these 12, changed the world, and that's what God wants us to know. Today, we're going to go through the apostle named Andrew. I think he's very, uh, he's got a little bit of scripture in the text for us, but he has a message that will really transform us. His name means strong man or manly man. Any strong manly men in the group? No, first service. Uh, They were on first service, but Keep coming back, guys. We'd love to have you next week if you want to go to a manly service. First service is probably the right one. But that's what his name means in the Greek. He's a fisherman from Bethsaida on the shore. It's the northern part of Israel if you've ever been there. He's a fisherman with James, John, and his his brother Peter. He's barely mentioned like many of the apostles. Only three or four are mentioned a lot. He's an everyday kind of guy. Do you know that the church is built on everyday kind of people? A a year, uh, about eight, about almost a year now we did a a volunteer thing and we had 150 people volunteering at our church on a month-to-month basis it takes about 60 people to run this church it's run by everyday people not everyone is called to be on stage and minister there's a lot of us that are called just to do our part in ministry whatever that is that's what that's what Andrew was He's a behind-the-scenes guy, one who focuses on the people, not personal glory. He was always in the shadow of a brother. Most of the time when you hear his name, it's like, oh, yeah, Peter's brother, that guy, Andrew. He didn't really have a name. I don't know if you guys know this, but at one point, I was in the shadows too. Everybody go, oh. I know, it was tough. It was really tough for me. Um, I used to belong to a church called Crossroads, and I ended up being a pastor there, but when I first joined the church, my sister, her name's Kim Rodriguez, she's actually in here in the red here, yeah, Kim, my sister took her little baby boy, and they left to Mexico, and so that was about a year, year and a half before I got there, and when I walked onto the church, everybody's like, oh, you're Kim Rodriguez's brother, little brother? And so I was known as Kim's little brother. I didn't really have a name. Kim's brother. That's who I am. But God is so good and faithful that 13 years later when she came back to the United States, she's now known as Jeff's sister. That's a story of redemption. (laughs) Man, that's stupid. Man, yeah, thanks for that, Levi. I appreciate that. <laughs> Somebody knows bad jokes when they hear it. The call of Andrew is an amazing story, and it's something that's memorable to us. And hopefully you guys will we'll see it unfold really quickly of who Andrew was. He was present when John the Baptist anointed. He baptized, and as Jesus was walking up, he was getting ready to baptize him. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm just going to read 1 John 37 to 42. And in this, verse 42, you're going to see this amazing call that Andrew does. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. Jesus looked around and saw them following and says, what do you want? He asked them. They replied, rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him to the place where he was staying. And they remained with him the rest of the day. Wouldn't it be nice that if we accepted Jesus Christ, we got one day with the Lord? What would that look like? What would you ask? What would you do? He had this moment in this day with the Lord, and it was powerful and amazing. And then we see Andrew come into the picture. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of these men who had heard that John, what John had said, and then followed Jesus. Andrew went to find his brother, Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. And here's what verse 42 says. This is the most important verse. And this is how you were supposed to catch this. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Looking intently at Simon, Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas. This last, I have dyslexia, so I called it Caiaphas. And there was like a couple of hisses over here on first service. Cephas. So... I see the H. That's all I see is the H. So, anyways, a whole nother story. And so, basically, what happens here, Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus. Now, listen, he knew that his brother was going to be a powerhouse in the kingdom of God, but that didn't stop him. He could have said, I'm going to keep him to myself. I'm going to have this savior. But he goes, I'm going to bring Peter, even if he's going to be greater than I. What a powerful statement. He brings his brother, even though he's gonna be in the shadows basically the rest of his life. One of the things that we know about Andrew, he was one of the first followers, and he was the first to bring someone to Jesus Christ. What kind of testimony would that be? The first to bring someone to Jesus Christ. The other thing that we see here is really powerful, and it tells us that, that Andrew and Peter were devout Jews. It says, We have found the Messiah. Now what you do in Greek is you look at the word or you look at the sentence and it's called parsed out and you break down this sentence or this word and you look at the language and you look at a bunch of stuff and this we, this simple word we is a plural and it indicates two different things. We have been looking for the Messiah and we have now found the Messiah. That plural says there's two actions going on. We have been looking, that shows us that they have been looking and following the scriptures and now it's saying we have found the one that we've been looking for. Andrew's also probably the first missionary because he's the first one that goes out and brings someone to Jesus. Now, the thing about Andrew that we need to learn from is where did he go to find uh, uh, somebody to bring to Jesus? His family, his home. You know, that's what's happened in my family. One by one, we have all accepted Jesus because of my sister when she was 17, accepted the Lord. And slowly but surely, Jesus has picked us off and plucked us off and brought us into the kingdom. And it's because she's been praying for years. And we still have work to do because there's still some family members that aren't there. But my sister's faithfulness, if you know someone in your family, that's your first mission in ministry. And if you can't explain to them Jesus, put them on the prayer request, bring them to a church that preaches the gospel and watch God work. I promise it will happen. It has happened regularly in our family and it happens in church all the time. You know, Andrew was one that always made connections with people. He went to look at the crowd, and he would look at all of you, and he would look at that one person and say, I'm going to have an impact with this person today. He wasn't looking like the other apostles at the vast crowds. He was interested in people, seeing them, and his heart was to bring people to the Lord. He always wanted to bring people to Jesus. Let me give you two places of Scripture to help kind of explain that. When Jesus is feeding the five thousands, just like Philip, Andrew is in that same story, and it says this, John chapter 6, it says, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming for him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we work for months, we would not have enough money to feed them. So now we're seeing Philip, and we talked about him a couple weeks ago. You can go onto our app or online to to follow that sermon. Philip is struggling with the faith. He didn't quite understand what Jesus was trying to do, but Andrew understood because he'd studied Scripture. Here's what it says. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy with five barley loaves and two fish. Listen, I don't know if you guys know this, but when I think of loaves of bread... I think of those ones at Vons at like 4.30 that are hot and fresh that you get. My girls eat those, right? And basically what happens is when I buy them, I have to buy two because half of one by the time I get home is gone, right? I don't know how that happens. Miraculously, one's gone. But these loaves of bread that they're talking about are actually barley biscuits. They're small, And they would be like a a, a small biscuit and the fish would be dried fish or pickled. And it was like fish and crackers. Anybody ever have saltines and fish and cracker, dried fish? That's basically what this was. It was a lunch for a little boy. And what happened was this. Andrew believed that this could be useful. Instead of looking at the 10,000 people or the 20,000 people out there, he finds a little boy with a sack lunch that mom made him, and he brings them to Jesus. And Jesus is like, this is helpful. We can use this. And Jesus multiplies and does a miraculous thing for all all time. Has anybody ever tried to cook for 30 people? It's not easy. Try and do it for 5, 10, 15, 20,000 people. It's a little easier with just four or five. This kid was a miracle, and Andrew knew, I can bring just this little bit to Jesus, and it would be a miracle. It's exactly what Jesus needs, and then they fed 5,000. One man, Andrew, brings one little boy to the God-man, and life is changed forever. The last text that we're going to talk about, Andrew, comes from Jesus as he's done his triumphant entry, and now he's in the synagogue, and it says, John twelve twenty to 22, Some Greeks had come to Jerusalem for Passover celebration, paid a visit to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Sir, they said, we want to meet Jesus. Philip told Andrew about it, and they went together to ask Jesus. Here's the thing. If you understand what's going on here, here's the thing. Jesus was a Jew. These guys were Gentiles. They couldn't actually come to Jesus, and they touched him or talked to him. They could have made him unclean. So Philip's like, I don't know if he should be around Gentiles. I don't think that's right. And Andrew's like, who cares? Everybody needs Jesus. So not only is he the first one to be called and bring a Jew to Jesus, he's the first to bring Gentiles to Jesus as well because he knew the gospel was for everybody. That's a powerful message for all of us to understand. We shouldn't let our, our things and our opinions, our attitudes, hold us back to know what God truly wants. Philip was unsure, but Andrew knew exactly what he was to do. Looking through the crowd, he took people constantly to Jesus Christ. It's fair to say that Andrew exhibited humility and faithfulness. He was more concerned about people. He would be someone here looking in the crowd going, who really needs me to pray and intercede for them versus looking at the masses and wondering, is it his turn to speak today? He didn't crave honor. He was never seen in the big debates, but he was always actively searching crowds, searching for that individual to bring to Jesus. That's powerful. My final point about Andrew is this. He's he's famous in today's world because he's got what we call heavenly golf course named after him. It's called St. Andrews. It's where golf was created. This town and this golf course was named after St. Andrews. And uh, he's the patron saint of Scotland. And here's why they chose him. His openness, humility, and faith. And if you're a golfer, this was where golf was created. And we know God's a golfer because uh, he loves uh, beautiful areas. And so St. Andrews is one of the famous places. No golfers in the place? Thank you. As we study tradition, to find out what really happened to Andrew, because there's not much text, we have to look at outside resources. There's other places that you can find out what happened to Andrew. Let me share a little bit of what happened to Andrew. He preached in different regions in the the world, and he started a church in Constantinople. And one account says... That he refused to make sacrifices to heathen God. He was beaten and crucified in Petri, which is in Acacia. And he hung for two days. And while he was hung, dying, he was praising God the whole time. How powerful is that? You know, we struggle and I'm in the car in traffic and I can barely praise God, right? Because I'm in traffic. This guy's dying and he's praising God. Now what that means to us today is we need to figure out what our mission is and what God has for us. So what I want to do is I just want to read from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I just want to read the words and, 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 and hopefully these words will help us grow as a disciple. The 12 sermon series is to look at disciples in 2019 and say, am I really like the disciples back in that day? Last week, Jeremy preached about being zealous for the kingdom of God because of this one word that Simon the Zealot. Today, we're going to talk about bringing people to Christ and realize that we are all on mission and in ministry doing the same work. Do you guys realize that all of us are clergy or lay pastors or ministers of reconciliation? Some of us get paid. Most of us don't. But the Bible tells us that all of us, everybody in this place is on mission. Everybody say on mission. On mission. I'm on mission. Yeah, not very strong. But the truth is, you guys are on mission. And we're all to do our part. Some are going to be on stage. Some are going to sing songs. Some are going to tell funny jokes. Others aren't. But we are all on mission. And there's two things that the Apostle Paul writes that helps us and can. Comp- And compels us to do ministry. One is fear and the second is love. So let's read through it. Hopefully these words will sink in and it'll help you become a better disciple. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others, to bring them back. We work hard to bring people into a church so that they can know Jesus Christ. God knows we are sincere and I hope you know this too. And now he's just talking to the Corinthians. We are... Are we commending ourselves to you again? No, we are giving you reason to be proud of us so that you can answer those who brag about having these spectacular ministries rather than having a sincere heart. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring the glory to God. And if we are in in our right minds, it is for your benefit. The first thing we see that compels us is fear. The second one is a sincere heart. Where is your heart? Is your heart into it today? Is it going to be into it on Monday? How about Friday? Four o'clock on Saturday. You have to have a sincere heart, but it really is driven by fear. It says we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. You have a responsibility, and that fear should drive you into ministry. It's not a fear of being out of control or paralyzing fear. No, it's a healthy fear, one that can help you make right decisions. I read somewhere, it said that whatever you fear the most is what you will serve. Let me say that again. Whatever you fear the most, you will serve. If you fear death, guess what you're going to do? You're going to serve death. If you fear health issues, you fear money, you fear jobs and homelessness. If you fear what your children are doing, if you fear that kind of stuff, it's going it's to impact you. And you're not going to fear the Lord. You're going to fear other things. And you're going to serve that. And your life is going to be powerless. You're not going to live in the power of Jesus Christ. You have to have a sincere heart and realize that fear compels me to do the work and mission of God. It's an awe-inspiring fear. I have great fear for the Lord. I know that He was watching me at 1 o'clock last night. I know He was there in the room. And that fear leads me to do righteous things instead of... I was going to say raunchy things. I don't think you could say that, but... Here's what verse 14 says, and it talks about love. Either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that he died. We believe that we all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Do you guys realize not only does fear dominate our life, but love controls us. Anybody in this room, and I'd sure like to see you raise their hands. Anybody done something stupid in love? Yeah, most of you. You know, all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I'm going to go drive to Riverside because I met someone. I've never been to Riverside, but I'm going to drive there and get a, get a frosty, right? Because I'm in love or I met Mr. or Mrs. Right. We do stupid things. Love controls us. But Paul is challenging. like, love of things of this world is going to control you and bring you into darkness. You need to be controlled by God's love. That's got to compel me to do the work. And that's what the Apostle Paul is challenging us. There's two ways to look at this. Paul could have meant that the love for Jesus was so strong. He's like, I love you so much, Jesus, that I'm going to do righteous things. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do everything I can to make you you right in my life and make things right with people around me. Representing our world to the best of our ability. Compelling me, Lord, because of your love to obey and trust you. Producing acts of love. That's one way that we can look at it. But truthfully, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, this love that we're, that's controlling us is a sacrificial love. The Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his son to die, a sacrificial love. And that sacrificial love compels us and motivates us to act a certain way because of what he did. Let me say it a different way. If someone died for you or your family... They, they jumped in front of a car and pushed your family out of the way to save your life, but they died and you had to talk to their family. How would you act? How would you live your life? If someone took a bullet for you and your family or jumped on a bomb or something for your family to save your family, don't you think you should live your life a little differently? Christ died so that you can live your life differently. His love for you should control your life so that you can be compelled to do the work and ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we do that, my view opens up and I see the world in a completely different way. Because he died for us, his love should control me. It can control you. It should control you. But you're letting everything else control you. The phone, let's all pick up our thrones and throw them. I'm too cheap to buy another one, so I wouldn't do that, so... But we let things control us, the love of things. And God is saying, let my love control you. The second part of this verse tells us that God counts our old life dead. It's ended. It's done. He frees us from any permanent punishment of sin, for his love has consequences. He frees us from sin, but do you realize his love has consequences? Jesus died for the sinners of the world. He died for my sin and your sin. He died for all of those sins so that those might live, no longer live for themselves, but they live for Christ. Our consequence for following Jesus is to live for him. So why do you continue to live for yourself? You, are, you are, should be compelled by his love to do greater things. But instead, we live for ourselves. And occasionally, we do a few things for Jesus. Yay, Jesus, I did a five-minute devotion today. I get it. I'm not a great reader. But I pray all day because my mind wanders and is crazy and it's dangerous apart from God. And I need to stay connected. If we are his disciples, we need to follow him. We need to fear him. We need to let his love control us. And we need to view the world differently. This world is broken and lost. It's chaotic. It's crazy. There's crazy people doing crazy things, killing and raping and pillaging the world. And if we look at it from a human perspective, we're going to miss out. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Here's what Paul is really trying to say in these verses. Paul's truth is Christ died so that we may die. Christ died so that I die. My old self is dead. Another way to say is he died that we might also live too in Jesus Christ. He died so that I die. He died so that I may also live. Listen to what Romans says. On Wednesday nights in the second week of September, we're going to start through the book of Romans. It's going to be a powerful time to grow in this book. But here's what it says in Romans 6. It says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our life. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know that we also live. With him. He died so that I can live. He died. He took that bullet. He took that 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 death so that I can live and live life to the fullest. And that fear and that love should compel me to do wonderful things. But instead, we do selfish things. Now this might be the most important part of the sermon. Verse 16, I feel like God told me to highlight this today. And actually, I highlighted the other verse, but I know that God's saying this is the verse. It says, so we stop evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought Christ merely from a human point of view. How different do, do we know him now? Those that have a deeper revelation and relationship with Jesus Christ view him from a heavenly perspective, from a spiritual perspective. Those that have a limited view of God, a human view, a powerless view of God, live in this mindset that he's only doing minimal things in the world and he's not doing great and powerful miracles in the world. Human perspective is going to minimize your God and you're going to put him in a box and you're going to put him in a disciple or a devotion, a discipleship uh, uh, group or a devotion that's very limited. A powerful God will open up your relationship when you look from the heavenly view. What would God say if He was looking down from heaven in your life today? When we get out of ourselves and look from a heavenly view, our life changes. The mission of God is my ministry. Everybody say it the mission of God is my ministry. My ministry. Yeah, not very good. My ministry. This is not Jeff's church. This is not Jeremy's church or Jeff Barnett or Dustin. This is our church. And God does wonderful things when we all take ownership. My ministry is here. It's at home. It's in the schools. It's in the highways, the byways. It's on the mountains. It's in the valleys. It's wherever God takes me. That is where I do ministry. Why? Why? The good news is this. Here's what Paul writes. This means verse 17. Anything, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. Who likes new things? Girls, raise your hand. Actually, no, they're thrift store girls, so they don't really like new things. My daughter's like, we all like new things: new cars, new houses, new clothes, new babies. Actually, we like, we like like four-year-olds that are going to the bathroom and all that stuff already. But we like new things. We're attracted to new things. And God puts this verse in here because we need to be new in Jesus so that people can be attracted to that. Jeff, you're no longer the same person. Carol, you're acting different. Taylor, what's going on in your life? Why is God working? Because there's something new and people are attracted to that. Old is gone, new is in, and God does a compelling work in us to do the missional work of ministry. Here's what it says. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back, who brought, brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the tack of, task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. He has given us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Let's go back to that first statement. What can one person do? They can live in the fear of God. They can let the love of Jesus Christ control them. And they can start reconciling people back to God. That is God's plan. It's through Jesus and it's through you and I. We are anointed and we are challenged to go into the world and bring this message of reconciling people back to Christ. And we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. If someone rejects you, that doesn't mean it's against you. It's against God, and he will work that out. But our job is to preach the gospel, share the gospel, bring people into the gospel, build the kingdom of God, and watch Christ's ministry work through us. And then all of a sudden it becomes my ministry because I'm at work doing the work that he has called me to do. Free or or, or paid So we are Christ's ambassadors, it said. God is making his appeal through us. We are his ambassadors. We are his hands and feet, and he's making appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sins so that we can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. He intercedes. He took the bullet. He died so that you may live. Are you living in that? Or are you just kind of squandering it? Be an ambassador for Jesus. Reconcile people back. Let that love for Christ compel you to be a reconciler. Let that fear drive you into the Bible and into discipleship. Have a sincere heart for Jesus. And let the world be changed. Now I want to kind of change tone for a second. Last couple weeks, a couple of Christian leaders publicly renounced their faith. Now, I don't know why they did it publicly, probably for attention, because there's a lot of people that walk out of church and go, and I'm never going to believe in that God stuff ever again. But these guys and their people that we made leaders recently renounced their faith. One of them kind of upset me. He made this statement. He goes, I'm leaving God because I never saw any miracles in my church. And his church is the largest church in the world. He's part of Hillsong. He was on staff. He says, I've never seen any miracles. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, that's not going to happen in our church. This church in itself is a miracle. God started this church. In 2010, in the middle of a crisis, and there was no money, there was no income, there was a savings account from my wife, and we spent it until it ran out. And because of that, today we're celebrating Jesus Christ. (laughs) Community leaders told us you can't start a church in an economy like this. They told us you guys shouldn't start a church in Camarillo, go somewhere else. We denied man, but we celebrated Christ. This church is a miracle. And in this church, God has used it to change people's lives. One of those lives is my little buddy Zeke. Jeremy Kays and Tara. About a year and a half ago, after a Super Bowl party and some chili Dustin made. (laughs) Tara ate it. Next thing you know, she's in the ER And Zeke was prematurely born, two pounds, 70 plus days in ICU. And today this little guy's running around, taking over the world one person at a time. He is a walking miracle. And it's because you and I have been praying for that. How about Brother Lowell? Anybody know Brother Lowell? This guy's got more stints than God in him, and he is a walking miracle. He's loving Jesus. He's a man that has gone through so much stuff in his life, and he continues to love you even in the middle of his pain. And and God has used this man constantly in my life. It's a miracle that he's here, but beyond that, it's a miracle how he ministers with all the pain that he's had in his own personal life. It's a miracle. Thank you, Brother Lowell. My friend Michelle was in an accident on the 101. She broke her neck in two different places. One fused and not. Today she's at home. She's walking. She's moving because of your prayers. God is moving in this church and in his prayer life. My friend Andrea. She was in an accident a year and a half ago. Head on collision. The the, the news was talking about it. She got hit by a drunk driver going on the wrong side of the street. She's sitting right there. She took the brunt of the accident. She had more broken bones and more stuff going on in Cedar sinai And she's a miracle. Now she's got a baby. She's working. God's doing wonderful things. It's because of your prayer. My friend Steph, one of my best friend's wife. I guess she's my best friend too. I'll give her that. We've been praying. God did some stuff inside of her body. It was a miracle. Sawyer, having Sawyer was a miracle for this family. And it's because they are plugged in and they have a community that God has done miracles in their life. Francis running around all over serving us is a miracle. What God has done in this lady's life is non, uh, nothing more than the greatest miracle that we've ever seen. My friend David over here, he came to church four and a half years ago. And he was coming not really to change his life. He was coming because he needed to get his wife off his back, basically. And now she's with him at church because he's changed. He is a miracle. He's a different person. He's got new life in Jesus Christ. And now his family sees him for who he really is. How about Kevin? Kevin, raise your hand. This is my old neighbor. This is my old neighbor. And he used to live across the street from us when we planted the church. And Kevin, man, you are a miracle, buddy. Kevin has told me and my wife several times that God loved him so much that he planted a church right in front of his eyes. He used to live right across the street and watch this church grow. And now Kevin is part of our church and he's a miracle in the making right there. Paul and Margarita, they're miracles, all the healings. I have two, Mil- uh, two Bills, Bill Milton, Bill Antrim, miracles. They had strokes and they were at that close to, to death and God has healed them. Taylor and his kids had an accident two years ago in Texas. They flipped and rolled the car several times. His kids are alive, they're healthy and God is working to bring them back here. My friend Dana had some health issues recently in a hospital. And here he's here now celebrating. My friend Corey and Vesta, they're miracles walking before us today. God is doing great work. My friend Sue Wolfrey is a miracle of Jesus Christ. She's, been, she's had some cancer and God kind of gets rid of it. And she has peace no matter what happens. <laughs> Melissa, Levi, Jimmy, walking miracles right there. And the last one is my dad. When the church started nine and a half years ago, he had pancreatic cancer. There was a 3% chance that he was going to survive during the surgery. They found the right surgeon, didn't think he was going to make it. This surgeon's numbers were 27% chance that he would make it. And he's here today, 10 years later, celebrating right in front of us. Rosa Parks says one person can change the world. This is one person in my life, Jeff's sister, Kim Rodriguez. This girl has led me to a greater place and a greater destiny and helped me learn to live out my inheritance. And I'm going to let her close today. And if you've never heard her preach, cover your eyebrows because they're going to catch on fire.
1: Father, I just thank you for all the miracles that you've done in our hearts and in our lives and in our families. And I pray that your love would motivate us, that it would compel us, that it would consume our lives. And that your love would flow from our lives. I thank you, Jesus, for making the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. So that we could become a new creation. And I pray, Father, that today your people would recognize that that old life that they had, that that old person that they were has passed away and that they are a new creation. And I thank you, Father, that you have given every single one of us sitting here today the ministry of reconciliation that we can have peace with God. Yes, Lord. And that we can bring others into having peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that in your word you call us your ambassadors. Yes. May we be your ambassadors and represent you in this world. May we bring peace and love. May we bring solutions to the problems in our nation and in the nations of the earth. May we represent your love and your heart, your truth and your grace to this lost world. May we bring salvation and healing and hope to a generation, Father. And I thank you that you call us the righteousness of God. In Christ. May we look at ourselves in the mirror every day and recognize that we are the righteousness of God in Christ, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what you did on the cross. And by putting our faith, we are righteous. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ, that doesn't know the love of the Father, That has never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives, I invite you to say a prayer with me. Repeat after me Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your beloved Son Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross. Thank you for his resurrection from the grave. I believe in Him. And today, I receive Him in my heart. Thank you for making me a new creation. I give my heart to you. May your love motivate and compel me. Help me to live as as your ambassador, as your righteousness. Help me to be like Andrew, one who brings people to you and who brings you to people. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.